Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. This hour, we're going to hear from a Minnesota couple who've dedicated a lot of their time and money to making our state a better place to live. Bill and Penny George are here in the studio with me today to talk about their journey, their philanthropy, and the experiences that shaped their values. But first, I want to take some time to talk about what you can do today. I know you know that it is Give to the Max Day, and I'm here uh, with my colleague, producer Samantha Matsumoto, who works very closely with me on the 9 a.m. talk show. Good morning, Samantha. Good morning, Angela. It's a celebratory day, I feel like. Yeah, Uh, it's a happy day. Yes, we are are celebrating uh, Minnesota's biggest day of generosity uh, together, and we want our listeners to know that your gift today uh, will be matched by the NPR Member Fund today. And if you are a new member uh, making your first donation to NPR, your gift will be tripled. So give now at nprnews.org or call us at 800-227-2811. Part of what makes NPR News so unique is the interesting people that you hear every time you listen. And that's the voices of our reporters, but not just them, also the voices of your neighbors and the communities across Minnesota who share their perspectives and experiences. We hear that on uh, the 9 a.m. show a lot. Everyone from dancers mm-hmm. to artists to advocates to politicians um, and then the regular listeners who call in. And you wouldn't hear news of this quality and thoughtfulness anywhere else. So your support today helps NPR be a strong part of your community. Give to the max now and your support will be matched. Donate at nprnews.org or call 800-227-2811. Sometimes when people ask me what I do for a living, I say I get to be nosy for the whole state. I just get to invite people in and just ask them the questions that I think a lot of people kind of want to hear and want to know the responses to. So uh, I take my job very seriously. And I know you do too, Samantha. And we We work in a newsroom full of very dedicated and committed journalists who care about fact-based reporting and who care about the state because this is our home as well. And so as you think about Give to the Max Day, think about how much you listen to NPR across the day, across the week, and put a dollar amount on that. So whether you choose to give $10 or $15, a monthly contribution or a one-time gift, uh, today's a great day to do it because your contribution can be either doubled or tripled. So Give to the Max now with your donation to NPR at nprnews.org or call us at 800-227-2811. And that $10 or $15 a a month may not feel like much to you, but it really carries a lot of power here at NPR News. Your monthly donation helps pay for a whole world of news and ideas, and listeners are the greatest source of funding at NPR News. So your donation is really essential to the station's financial health. Gifts from many individuals who come together in support of NPR power this station. I want to read a member comment from Tom in Minneapolis. Tom donated and said, you provide so many vital sources to our community. Honest, accurate, up-to-date news, in-depth journalism, marvelous classical music, cutting-edge contemporary music, the BBC, and so much more. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Tom. Join Tom today and make your contribution right now at mprnews.org or by calling 800-227-2811. And your contributions, your supporting our our staff, 
uh, the technology. When, you know, we have the opportunity to travel across the state. As you know, we have bureaus across the state, uh, reporters who live in, in regions all over the state so that we can better cover the entire state of Minnesota. And uh, that costs money. And the experienced journalists of NPR News, we're, you know, every day trying to cover the state from border to border, reporting on issues and stories and places that matter. So your support today, matched by the NPR member fund, give to the max and donate now at nprnews.org or call us at 800-227-2811. So today, I really want you to meet a Twin Cities couple who've spent a lot of time thinking about what matters to them and how they can make a difference in Minnesota with their time and their money. Today, they are a powerful combination, and they've been a powerful combination for a long time as a married couple. Bill George is a former chairman and CEO of the medical device company Medtronic, and he's nationally respected as a business leader, known for a leadership style shaped by values rather than the bottom line. He's also a senior fellow at Harvard Business School, where he teaches classes in leadership and the author of best-selling leadership books, including Authentic Leadership and True North. You brought me a copy of the book. Thanks. Bill. Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good morning. And we also have Penny George with us. Penny is a retired psychologist and a national advocate for healthcare, especially holistic and alternative therapies. And you may have heard of the Penny George Institute for Health and Healing, connected to Alina Health in Minneapolis. She's also co-chair of the George Family Foundation with Bill. Good morning, Penny. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Well, Bill and Penny uh, have given away millions of dollars since they started their family foundation back in 1994. And just last month, you may have seen this, uh, they were in the news. They announced a gift of $8 million to YMCA of the North uh, to expand health and wellness coaching directly to the community. So today I'm talking with them about the experiences that shape their lives. We want to get to know them better and how they're trying to live out those values and where they give away their money. And we're taking your phone calls too. So I want to know how do your values influence where you give your time or your money? What are ways you're giving to your community? Let's talk about it. Give us a call at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Again, that number is six five one two two seven six thousand. You can also call eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Tweet me at Angela Davis MPR. Uh, you know, you two recently. I mentioned uh, I, I saw the the news article about the uh, George Family Foundation giving eight million dollars to YMCA of the North. And Penny, you know, why did you choose uh, to make that huge donation to YMCA? What is it about that organization? that really speaks to you? The Y is focused on equity, and they're focused on mind, body, and spirit. That's been their emblem for their motto for 180 years or something like that. And um, they were moving in this direction, so there was momentum for us to get behind. And one of the things that um, became clear to me is that the advantages I had in finding information and support for my own cancer journey within the clinical health system was something that I had the privilege of being able to do, but a lot of people don't. And we wanted to see people be empowered in their own homes and their own communities to be optimally well, no matter what their health situation. And so the why seemed like a perfect other partner for us, the community-facing side of, of um, 
the desire to improve health and well-being for all Minnesotans. You know, I mentioned, you know, we're going to talk about how your values and your life experiences kind of shape you. So your journey, your health journey really changed your life. Well, I had just finished my doctorate not long before and intended to go in a different direction. But, you know, cancer is sort of like, you know, 52 card pickup, you throw the card pile up and it doesn't come back the same way. And it was like Mm -hmm. the air had started to go out of the balloon. And I think there was something in me that wanted something more. um, And, you know, I was just listening to myself, both in terms of how I was going to heal from cancer um, and how I would go forward. And it was sort of a happy confluence that, you know, I found my way back to health at the same time that the value of the the foundation stock, which was mostly Medtronic stock at that time, escalated to the point where we really could make a difference. And so I took over the leadership of the foundation at that time and said, we need to make the things that I experienced available to everybody. And so what was that conversation like with Bill? Were you like, Bill, here's what we're going to do? No, we (laughs) were doing it together. We Mm -hmm. had a woman who was an old friend of ours who was a philanthropic advisor, and she was sitting on our front porch with us one summer day and was saying, if you could do anything and be successful, you know, because we weren't thinking of ourselves as philanthropists by any means, you know, um, what would you do? And I would, I just said, I would change how healthcare is delivered. And of mm-hmm. course, not realizing how naive it is to think that way. I knew it had to be done. And I knew there were a lot of people thinking by then the way I did. And mm-hmm. Bill, what was your, how would you answer that? Well, for uh, for the last 25 years, we've seen healthcare costs rise inexorably, and sadly, the health population is going down. And I think we need to look at the whole person, not just look at them as a body part, but mind, body, and spirit. And if we can do that and help people develop ways for self-care, uh, I believe very fervently that we can really transform health for everyone. And uh, I think we have the opportunity to do that, particularly for people that don't have access to a lot of things that uh, other people have. And the Y is one of many places we try to do that, along with a line of health. What do you remember most, uh, Bill, when you found out uh, your wife had breast cancer and, and watching her go through her treatment and her journey to, to be well again? Well, when I first heard it was fear, mm-hmm. which I didn't want to admit because, uh, you know, the I thought of losing her, uh, you know, closer to her, obviously, than anyone else in my life, but the idea that this may not end well, and as it hadn't for so many people. And uh, then we really partnered up, and uh, and my role was really more to be a support person for her as she went through her journey, and to do whatever I could to give her encouragement, and to believe that we can get through this and uh, together. And uh, so that was a, a really powerful journey, because uh, it took me away from myself and got me really helping her go through this journey, which she led, <laughs> and I was just there, uh, uh, you know, helping her. You know, we often read about uh, philanthropists who make huge donations. It's rare to get to talk to <laughs> philanthropists, so I'm I, I'm honored by this experience. But I just want to: what does it feel like when you are able to make a donation, uh, millions of dollars to an organization that that you know will have an impact uh, for many years? I mean, long after you're gone, what does that feel like, Bill? Joy. Uh, I feel great joy. And it doesn't have to be millions. I mean, some organizations, $25,000 for a startup organization, 
we've seen uh, can like juxtaposition arts can make a huge difference. So we don't have to look at just mega gifts. Mm-hmm. But I feel joy that we have. We're blessed to be able to give back, and I think we're all called in life to make this world a better place. And this is one way we can give back. We've been fortunate because of Medtronic stock that we've done well financially, and we're able now to give it back. And I always tell people, Angel. You know, you can't take it with you. I don't care what your religious beliefs are. You can't take it with you. So why not find the joy in your lifetime uh, of giving back to other people that are less fortunate? And uh, there are a lot of people that are mm-hmm. suffering right now. And if we can help just a few of them, it uh, gives me great joy. Mm. Penny? For what, for my, my career was a, as a consulting psychologist, was really looking for talent and getting behind people, helping them realize their gifts and their calling. And so for me, ma- being able to make these gifts is getting behind the kind of leadership and the kind of vision that amplifies what I've kind of always done. And it, it's just so gratifying to see that these things that I could never do or we could never do are actually going to happen. And how do you work as a team when you talk about where to give money? I know you have two grown sons uh, who are on the board of the Family Foundation, but uh, what does a meeting look like, Penny? Well, let me... Bill tends to look at the the large institution perspective and and from and, and looks at things from that perspective. I tend to gravitate more to the grassroots and you know what what's happening with the Penny George practitioners and what's happening at the Culture Wellness Center or whatever. And so we bring those two perspectives into our meetings and we um, meet twice a year. And our sons are on, as you mentioned, the board. They live elsewhere, so they've been coming in by Zoom. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it would, these are the family meetings. So we talk all the time. Every <laughs> night we're talking about this opportunity, that opportunity. Can we make a difference? Are they full carrying out what we originally intended? Uh, and then also, Angela, how do we leverage this? For instance, I'll give you an example, the YMCA. Glenn Gunderson, who's CEO of the Y, is a national mm-hmm. leader and highly respected. So he put together a team of six other or seven other Y heads, the major Ys in the U.S., and we were at a leadership program, True North Leadership Program on California, talking about how can we take what we're doing here in Minnesota and spread it to the rest of the country. And we envision other people will help step up and fund that. But if we can take this idea of treating the whole person of care you're maybe not getting in your health care institution or your hospital to help you stay healthy and when you do get sick to become fully healthy on an ongoing basis. Today, I'm talking with philanthropists Bill and Penny George about the experiences uh, that have shaped their values and how they're trying to live out those values and how they give away their money. And we're taking your phone calls. I want to hear from you, too. How do your values influence where you give your money and your time? Give us a call at 651-227-6000, or you can call 800-242-2828. Bill and Penny, let's take some phone calls. Uh, We have a listener in Blaine who's on the phone, and this is Tracy. Tracy, what did you want to share with us about philanthropy? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Angela. Um, I think, you know, lived experiences really do play a part in how you give um, as you grow older. Um, As someone... You know, myself, I was in the foster care system as a as mm-hmm. a younger adult, and then I was also involved in the criminal justice system as a younger adult. And now, 20 years later, um, those are the types of organizations I give to and I, and mm-hmm. I spend my time with and I, and I give money to foster care organizations, and I have an organization that I created myself uh, for foster care. But additionally, um, I am the, the board chair for the Minnesota Second Chance Coalition, um, and, you know, driving experiences and providing second chances for those who have kind of 
live through those experiences and being able to give back in that way. Mm. And I would just also like to include, you know, uh, with your two guests today, you know, it's their uh, donations to the YMCA just have such a great impact on the community. So I thank you for that. Oh, thank you. That's a trace in Blaine. Uh, is that touching to hear that feedback? Oh, wow. Yeah, bet. I mean, thank you for what you're doing. This is uh, impressive to me. You know, brings tears to me. I think of being a foster home and then criminal justice, and now how you can transform that to help other people that are trapped in that system. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd also add everybody has something to give, and generally it comes from your own personal lived experience, just like Tracy said. Mm-hmm. Uh, another phone call in Minneapolis. Linda is on the line. Good morning, Linda. What did you want to share with us as we talk about uh, philanthropy? Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I have been a personal beneficiary of care at the Penny George Institute for Health and Healing, and I was very excited to have this opportunity to tell you thank you for establishing such a marvelous institution and trying to get preventive, staying well care available for people who might otherwise not have access to that. So a huge thank you. Oh, that's Linda in Minneapolis. Uh, I want to know more about, uh, of you know, Integrative medicine. I hear that term. I don't know that I fully understand what it means. How do you describe what we're talking about, um, uh, Penny? Because I know that you had a a health and healing coach when you were recovering from breast cancer. Uh, What did that person do? It was a psychologist friend of mine who helped me sort through what the options were and to find out where there was legitimate science behind some of the things that back then were still called alternative because they weren't being taught in medical school. But now they've become part, many of them have become part of the health system. And we now call them complementary because they're not mm. interventions like, you know, surgery or pharmaceuticals, but they're still part of the choices that people have. And what I wanted to do most was have people have access to those things, have attention to, as, as Linda mentioned, the importance of prevention. If you know that you are at risk of a particular illness through your family, we should be paying attention to helping you know how you should live in order to prevent that from happening. And so that's a lot of what we anticipate happening through a bridge from the health system to the to the YMCAs to people's homes so that people can learn to live optimally so that they don't get these illnesses or so that they can live well with them or recover from acute illness. And Angela, an example of that is I'm leaving here to go to uh, meet with an acupuncturist to get acupuncture. I've had pain in my back. So we had a long trip to and from India. It's a very long trip, trust me. Two 16-hour flights and lots of other flights. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the privilege of meeting His Holiness the Dalai Lama, but came back with some back pain. And so uh, I don't want to take any kind of pain pills or even, uh, you know, if I can avoid it, Tylenol. So going to take uh, acupuncture, and that's now been proven to be a better treatment. Uh, we were hearing yesterday about somebody we'd worked with closely in, at research uh, on, uh, on acupuncture in emergency rooms. But these, these are, this is considered outside the mainstream. Now it's coming in the mainstream. And so that's very exciting uh, to us mm-hmm. to see that there are other ways. And pain is a big issue for a lot of people who wants to live in pain. Right. And so this is an opportunity. Before we get deeper into um, the conversation about making donations and, and, and choices in that, I, I just really want to know how the two of you met and became a couple. Because I'm looking at you, and I, can, I, I, I mean, you, you pick up on each other's sentences, and I can see the genuine affection you have for, for each other. Uh, would you take us back in time, uh, Penny? And, and what was going on in your life when you met Bill? 
well, 50 some years ago, <laughs> we were both living in Washington. We didn't know each other. And At DC or Washington, DC. Uh-huh. Yeah, sorry. We were both working for the government. I remember when I met Bill, he was saying, Where do you work? I said, I work for the Department of Defense. And he said, So do I. And so does almost everybody else in Washington. Anyway, um, a mutual friend, a friend of mine from college, called me up one day and asked me to come to a dinner party for a friend, a friend of hers um, who, whose fiance had just died on, of a brain tumor that had hadn't even been diagnosed. She died pretty suddenly. And I said, "Um, no, thanks. Um, And I don't recall why I said no, but I said no. And um, about 10 days later, I got another call from the same friend saying, hey, want to get together tonight? And I said, well, you know, I'm free, maybe. And she said, "Uh, remember that dinner party I invited you to? Will you come? So I went and that's where I met Bill and, uh, and I, she lived in a part of town that wasn't very safe, so I, I was going to get a taxi, and he said, I'll give you a ride home. And so you could say the rest is history, but there was a long, long history there. So you're in your 20s. We, yeah. I was 25, I think. Mm-hmm. I just started, yeah. And Bill, what do you remember about meeting Penny? Uh, this is a tough time in my life. I think it's the lowest point in my life, to be honest, Angela. And because uh, my mother had died 18 months before. My fiancé died very suddenly. I didn't get to say goodbye to either of them. And uh, somehow, months later, Penny came into my life, and I'm a person of faith, and uh, I believe some things are meant to be. I can never explain why people die, to tell you the truth. Uh, But sometimes in life, one door closes, but another one is opening. And Mm -hmm. uh, when it's open, you have to walk through that open door. And uh, so uh, I think, like I say, I think it was meant to be. And uh, so it was just an exciting time, really exciting, I have to say. uh, Do you feel maybe. that you've each made each other better? Huh. Oh, yeah. I know Penny's oh, made yeah. me better. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't answer for her. Yeah. Yeah. How has he but. made you better, you think? Um, he's, he's, he's helped me find my voice, among other things. I was raised in a family where children were to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he's helped me realize the impact I can have with my life, among other things. I a, think a leadership just, guy. Right? Well, yeah, that, exactly. But the the key was our values were really aligned, and we were really good friends. That seems to be a good place to start a relationship. Mm-hmm. How is has Penny's helped me become kinder, more compassionate, and a better listener to people, uh, rather than trying to tout my own ideas. She's really helped me uh, listen to the ideas of others. And of course, teaching at Harvard aren't in the classroom or giving talks, that's what I do is I listen to people uh, and try to draw out uh, what their greatest needs are. And and, and neither one of you, you didn't grow up in in wealthy families, right? Penny, you grew up in Western Maryland. um, And I understand uh, both of your grandfathers were ministers. My grandfathers were both Protestant ministers. My father was a, a general surgeon in private practice in a small town back before they had insurance. And so I was shaped by those values. And what was going? What was that like having a dad that was a, a surgeon? Well, I was the original shoemaker's kid. I had a broken ankle for two days before I had the chance to get my father's attention to it. Um, but the one activity I remember ever doing with him, and we did it a lot because it was the only thing that we did together, was we would ride horseback in the in the Appalachian Mountains there, and um, and that was my time with him, and it shaped me. I have one example of that. And it happened more than once that, that there were people living there in places without water and without electricity. These were really very poor people who um, 
didn't get much medical attention. And my dad was a surgeon, so people with congestive heart failures weren't going heart failure weren't going to get treated by him. But he would stop by just to greet them, just to let them know that Doc Pilgrim cared about them. And I, that made a huge impression on me is this the service of self. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about money, and he didn't have that much money, and um, because, but, he, but he had good values. Many of his patients weren't able to pay him, and well, because the the ins- they didn't have insurance as well. That's a really interesting example as well, because he told me toward the end of his life that he would negotiate with people who were having elective surgery what they could pay per month and forever, mm-hmm. however long it would be, and if they paid faithfully for a year, he canceled the debt. The rest of it, he he just wrote off. Mm. And Bill, what about you growing up? Where did you grow up and, and what was that like? I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I'm the only child of older parents. And my mother had worked for 12 years but she, as a school teacher, uh, but she stopped work uh, when I was born. And uh, she was really the source of my values. She used to say, Bill, I don't care if you get A's or C's, just be a good person. <laughs> and even today, mm-hmm. she died when I was 24. Even today, I think of her like a little bird on my shoulder thinking, uh, I want you to do the right thing. And uh that's been a very powerful impact uh, on my life. And uh, we grew up with the idea that to whom much is given, much is expected. And we were blessed to have opportunities along the line uh, uh, to, to do more. And so I think it's an opportunity. And, and in life, one, you know, giving back is, is a great joy. I mean, it really is, I said earlier. We're talking with philanthropists Bill and Penny George about their experiences and how they have shaped their values and how they make decisions about how they give away their money and taking your phone calls. Uh, do you have a question for them or do you want to share how you make your decisions about where you give your money or your time? You can call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand or eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Let's go down to Owatonna and talk to Lucy. Good morning, Lucy. What did you want to share with us? Good morning. I wanted to share um, some gratitude for <clears throat> your insightful. I'm sorry, I'm a little hoarse. For your insightful philanthropy with complimentary care. I had breast cancer and was treated at Abbott Northwestern in the Twin Cities. And in 1996, I had the opportunity to take some free sessions on Saturday mornings. And then I was introduced to Tai Chi, and the sessions were very diverse. Journaling, uh, I I can't remember all the different things, but I brought my teenage daughter to one of them. And I think it helped her through the process of coping with mom with cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I I thank you for doing that. That's Lucy in Owatonna. Um, Penny is nodding, and she's very pleased and smiling. (laughs) Uh, Let's take another phone call. In Bemidji, Joseph is on the line. Good morning, Joseph. And what did you want to share with us? Um, What a great conversation first. Let's start there. But um, my son recently finished treatment for cancer, which was difficult. And seeing how we got help along the way and just meeting people. We stayed at the Ronald McDonald house in Fargo for a little while. And there's so many people that just need a little hand, someone to listen. And um, we've been trying to do that. And food is a struggle when you have to travel for medical care. So that's another thing that my family has really tried to do. Wow. Um, So it's just, it's, it's a learning experience. And Joseph, how old is your son? Uh, he's six now. He's six. Mm-hmm. And, and treatment lasted for about three years. Wow. 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 
So, and, and um, so Joseph, what did you oh, want to what, what did you want to share, or what is it like when you hear uh, other people's stories about how cancer impacted their lives, or when you hear about people who want to make health and wellness uh, easier for others? It's it's a community effort, um, and uh, it, it it that shines really bright in my eyes. Just how many people are involved in helping make that easier and happen. Mm-hmm. And are you and and your um, your family members are you able to make donations now, or how has this shaped you this experience? Yeah, we we have been able to. Uh, luckily, last Christmas we helped the family. Um, get all their presents. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to donate to the Ronald McDonald house quite frequently because they, they serve people who are experiencing lots of different things. Right. Um, so that, that's how I look at it. I mean, I, I can go and give to a group that does a one specific thing, which is good, but I, I try to look for groups that service a large spectrum of people. Mm. That's Joseph and Bemidji. Joseph, thank you for sharing your story, and we're wishing your family well. Um, there, you, we talked about this. There's just a lot of suffering and pain right now. So many yeah. ways that uh, mm-hmm. we can all do something to help. But what did you hear? And and what Joseph shared, Penny? Even in the midst of one's own suffering, there's room to 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 expand, to in- embrace others with compassion, and and he's finding ways to do that. And I think that has a healing impact as well. You know, the idea of altruism as medicine is is I think an important part that isn't included in anywhere in clinical medicine. The other thing that struck me is that the importance of community. You know, treatment is a solitary kind of experience. I mean, with the child, of course, it's the family as well, but we. We, we get healed in community, and, and I think we, we pay a lot of attention to that in our foundation. Our mission is to foster wholeness in body, mind, spirit, and community, and um, community is an important part of that, and which is one of the reasons why our gift to the why feels so good because it's, 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 expressly, um, it's expressly focusing on that. Bill and Penny George are here in the studio with me today to talk about their journey, their philanthropy, and the experiences that have shaped their lives. And we're taking your phone calls. Uh, if, if you have a question for Bill or Penny, give us a call. And I also want to know, how do your values influence where you give your money? What are some ways you're giving to your community with your money or maybe with your time? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. You can tweet me at Angela Davis MPR. Bill, I want to talk to you about your time at Medtronic. You were the CEO there for it was 10 years, right? That's exactly yeah. right. Right. And so um, yeah. as you reflect upon that, um, what do you think makes great leadership? And, and, you know, what was guiding you when you were CEO? You know, Angela, I think it's really changed. Uh, leadership, you know, 50 years ago, we started talking about who was the smartest person in the room. And we learned the hard way those weren't the best leaders. Leaders today have to lead with their hearts as well as their heads. They have to have real passion for the work. They have to have compassion and empathy for the customers they serve and the employees they work with. 
and they have to have courage to make bold decisions. And those are all matters of the heart. They're not part of your brain power you're born with. You develop those over time of working with people in organizations because leadership is really about relationships. And I believe at my core, it's about being authentic. It's about being who you are. And we've seen too many leaders fall into the charisma trap just this last weekend, this guy that had FTX, or we're seeing it happen with Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. But I think real leaders today are really authentic people uh, who do things right. And uh, that's what I'm really trying to develop more authentically. So that's what we try to do at Medtronic as well. And so when you're teaching uh, courses at Harvard Business School, uh, what are you talking about? And what are, what are you hoping to, to, to share or, or uh, to, to, to teach future leaders about? You don't learn leadership in the classroom, but we are really encouraging people to go deep into their life stories and the most challenging times ahead. Penny and I both mentioned that for us, but we find these are the transformative times that shape where you want to go with your leadership, and they help you become more self-aware of who you are. Too many people today are focused on you know, what they are and what their titles and what all these other things that really don't matter a lot. What really matters is who are you at your core? What kind of person are you? Are you authentic? Are you real? Can I count on you? And that's what people are looking for. Everyone wants to work for someone like that. And I'd like to get rid of Angela, all the toxic leaders, and see that we have genuine people that are really trying to do the right things. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but they're really striving hard to do that. And so that's what I've uh, worked on, everyone in the classroom and everywhere I go, and that's why I write these books, to try and encourage people. Just be who you are, and then find your purpose, which we call your North Star. And if you can find the purpose of your leadership, uh, and then you can be have the opportunity to lead with real passion. It took me... Frankly, it took me twenty uh, two decades before I get to uh, got to Medtronic to find that real sense of purpose of helping people be restored to full life and health. You uh, brought me a copy of your new book, um, mm-hmm. True North: uh, Leading Authentically in Today's Workplace. When I see leading authentically, somehow it makes me feel like you're saying to to kind of show some of your vulnerability. Absolutely, it seems like flying in the face of courage. Though I don't, I mean, that could be troubling for some folks. It takes courage, but I think real leaders are vulnerable. And you find that when you are, you connect with people. We don't connect in our heads. We connect in our hearts. We connect our humanity through, uh, like with Joseph, who called in, and I have great empathy for him. I never met him. But you, you feel a connection there. We don't connect with the smartest person in the room. But we connect when we're willing to show our vulnerabilities. And then you find people really want to support you. So vulnerability is power. It's not weakness. And I'm encouraging more people to be real and be vulnerable. Yesterday's show, um, we talked about um, young people, young adults, people in their 20s and 30s, and what many of them are describing they're going through with uh, feeling lost, feeling uh, isolated, uh, struggling in the workplace, struggling with relationships. Um, uh, some people call it a quarter-life crisis. And I, I know that that you two, you're very both in, interested in supporting younger leaders. And, and why is that? Why? What is this uh, affection that you have for, for young leaders? Well, the new book is called the Emerging Leader Edition because it's aimed at the new generation. And I think a lot of people hey, with tremendous potential just need a hand up. And so we've supported, as part of our leadership initiative, a lot of institutions. One of the great ones is Alan Page and the Alan and the Page Found Family Foundation, yes. which is helping people go to college who would never, ever have the chance. He said, I'm not looking for the superstar A student. We're looking for people that probably wouldn't go to college. We support Dunwoody, people going to, to that school, the Wallen Educational Initiative. So there are a lot of opportunities we have. Uh, my son's working, chair of the board of Education Open Doors, to people who would never have the opportunity. And one of my close friends, 
friends uh, is Ken Frazier, former CEO of Merck, who frankly is the grandson of a slave, and his father never made more than twenty thousand dollars because he worked as a janitor. Ken got scholarships to Penn State. He was so smart, he got to uh, Harvard Law School and then eventually became CEO of Merck and made a huge difference. Mm. And so those leaders uh, should not just be looked at at people that have the privilege of going to, you know, prep schools or fancy schools, but really have the opportunity to grow as individuals. We're talking to philanthropists uh, Penny George and Bill George and taking your phone calls. Let's talk with another listener in Minneapolis. Julie is on the phone. And Julie, what did you want to share or ask? Good morning. Um, it's wonderful to be here, and this is a great segue from what Bill was just saying. I had the great privilege of being a Penny George Integrated Medicine Practitioner for seven years at United Hospital. I was at the Mother Baby Center, mm-hmm. and um, I'm now currently the Director of Wellness and Accountability for OSTARA Initiative. Our mission is to end prison birth. What I learned in my work as an integrative medicine practitioner is that we need more leaders in healthcare who understand there's a mind-body-spirit connection, that holistic health is a continuum. And the Penny George practitioners really live those values. However, um, bringing that into the bigger system of healthcare is so necessary. And I'm so blessed and fortunate that you both gave me that opportunity to emerge as a leader now to really bring that out into the world. But I'm really curious to hear what your thoughts are on how we get people that understand the value of mind, body, spirit into these Mm. leadership positions. All right, that's Julie in Minneapolis, uh, benefited greatly uh, from the Penny George Institute and and wants to know, like, uh, how do we do more? What's next? Thank you, Julie, for for your service at the Penny George Institute and also what you're doing now. Um, I think a lot of people in in healthcare delivery do get the connection. What's wrong is that the, the, the incentives are still perverse. There's, we're not moving very fast toward value-based care where you could get paid for, you know, looking at an individual as a whole person and getting better. Um, the, the place where, and they're all being squeezed, all healthcare systems are in, in really difficult circumstances. The only people making money are their insurance companies. Um, and Bill, maybe you could comment on this because you see the, the world of the big institutions better and you are more patient than, than I am. I'm 79 now and I'm, I'm really eager to, I'm, yeah, I'm not buying any green bananas. You know, I, I want to see something happen. But can you can you talk about that? Well, here's the good news is our healthcare institutions are really taking being taken over now by heart-filled leaders who are very compassionate. We saw that with Penny Wheeler and now Lisa Shannon mm-hmm. at Alina, Andrea mm-hmm. Walsh at Health Partners. I mm-hmm. uh, worked closely with Gianrico Ferrugia when I served on the Mayo Board. Uh, for a number of years, and he's very committed to the Women's Health Center that we've helped get going down there. So we see the new generation of leaders coming into healthcare, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, heard Jan Malcolm earlier this morning, who's just going out to Commissioner of Health, a mm-hmm. tremendous, heartfelt leader. And so, if we can get more leaders that lead in this way, that really care about people, uh, not just about the bottom line, I think that's the real answer. That's the step. Uh, let's take another phone call. In Minnetonka, Molly is on the line. Good morning, Molly. And what did you want to share or ask? Good morning. Um, I just wanted to, first of all, thank 
um, your listeners or your guests today because um, I think that what they're doing is awesome. I'm an old Y rat. I was an <laughs> outreach worker for the Minneapolis Ys for many years and did a lot of mental health in schools. And now I'm a psychologist in private practice hmm. at the Midwest Center for Trauma and Emotional Healing in Minnetonka. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to just give a shout out to caregiving for the caregivers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing this work for about 30 years, and I also work at Hold Your Horses doing equine therapy. Wow. And we're providing more opportunities for people to do authentic restoration that are psychologists, educators, teachers. Uh, doctors and nurses, because um, when I started in this field, there was never a, what are you doing for your own self-care? What's your practice in integrative health? And how are you going to stay in this field for the long term? And I think it's really critical that we offer mm-hmm. restore authentic, which I loved. Thanks, Bill, for that word. That's like in my daily practice, authentic restoration for people who are on the front line and give care to people who are in high need and I've developed some with some colleagues some authentic restoration workshops and um, actually was on the receiving end of some funding to be able to write some curriculum from um, your organization so I have just an attitude of gratitude (laughs) and want to say please let's give caregiving to the caregivers and I do authentic restoration workshops through an organization called the midst the trees that provides nature-based healing and Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for all that you do. Thank you. That's Molly and Minnetonka. Uh, care for the caregivers. Uh, during this pandemic, uh, we've done many, many uh, talk shows, many discussions about uh, the mental health crisis we're seeing, talked with many psychologists, uh, and talked about burnout among healthcare workers. But, um, you know, Penny, uh, what are your concerns and thoughts and what can be done to make sure our, our caregivers are themselves healthy so they can, you know, do this very demanding work. Molly, thank you for for raising that that concern because the the pandemic did show us the Mm. tremendous amount of burnout and the problem, even in the paper this morning talking about the shortage of nurses, I mean, burning out and um, putting on your own mask first before helping others is a really important part of it. And I think, um, I, I think that's one of the places where we haven't done as good a job, I think, getting to that place. Um, Bill, do you want to, I mean, that's a, a long, you could go a number of different directions on that one. And, but is that something that might be on your radar of like your next gift? Well, it's certainly on our do? radar because, mm-hmm. I, you know, at Alina, for example, under the mental health area, resilience among employees has really been an important right important function. Um, we're not really close to exactly how that's playing out, but we know that it's on their radar. And secondary trauma, and um, we, we've started a, a, an initiative called the Catalyst Initiative, which was a three-year, $3 million investment in community-facing organizations, supporting them in the work they're doing around, particularly around mind-body training and, and skills in um trauma and building an ecosystem among those so that we would raise the the awareness of the importance of doing this and doing it in the community. And I think I feel really good about the Minneapolis Foundation took that over from us after a while. But it's, I think, an important um, thrust. Angelica, I just add on, I'd like to give a shout out to a lot of the leaders are not big names. They're not well known. The media covers them. But let's let's talk about people in our community have really stepped up 
as leaders. Here are Bill's shout-outs. Uh, there's a woman attuned <laughs> us here who started the Community Wellness Center. Amazing organization, South Minneapolis. It's helping so many people in that difficult community, frankly, right next to where George Floyd was murdered. But really, it's helped a lot of people. There's a woman named Marnita who, uh, Schrodel who started Marnita's mm-hmm. Table and brings mm-hmm. people together in a community. And she says, communities are like gardens. They need to be nurtured. She gets people talking around the table. These are not people that are getting a bit highly paid or well-known, but they're doing, I think, really incredible work. And I think we need to recognize people that, that do this kind of thing because, see, the leaders, oftentimes, these are the ones that really make the difference that need the encouragement and support of others because uh, they're building our community. And they're the core of That's why we live here. That's the fabric of this community is so great. People like that. And isn't it almost contagious, too, um, when you're around people who have a generous spirit that uh, it frames your thoughts and actions as well? Yes, absolutely. I think so. Um, Let's take another phone call. In Minneapolis, Tom is on the phone. And uh, Tom, as we talk with Bill and Penny George, what did you want to ask or share? Well, first of all, thank you for taking the call. And uh, thank you, Bill and Penny, for all the good work you're doing, particularly the uh, work you're doing with the wine. As I listen to the callers and I listen to what you're trying to do, uh, I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit more on um, what is keeping people from uh, taking advantage of what these organizations are trying to put together. It feels like it's a great need, and therefore the question is, uh, from the other side, but what's keeping people from getting access to it? I'll hang up and listen. Thank but you. Obst- I think he's asking about obstacles uh, uh, for quality health care. What are your feelings about what's really getting in the way for, of people getting what they need? Well, I'll take the first shot at that, but it, which is I think we need to have it more accessible. I think it needs to be partly there's a shift in consciousness where we don't look at clinical care as is responsible for our well-being, that we really take ownership for our own health and empowered and supported in doing that, both in terms of information, in terms of, you know, a place to do it with other people. But that's what we're hoping that, that if we could take this, you know, whole life well-being, whole person well-being through the why um, nationwide, there will be more consciousness and more opportunity for people to actually do that. So I, I think it, it's both in people's sense of ownership of it, in their own sense of agency, and also in the plate. How, how do you access it? The Y is offering a whole lot free digitally that can can take people to that place and give them the mind-body skills that can help them deal with, with whatever is going on in their life. I think economics are a big part of it, and a lot of people can afford to join a fitness club, but a lot of people can't. And I think we need to to make these services accessible. Frankly, Angela, these are not these are very cost effective things, but they don't have the big money behind them, and the pharmaceutical industry does. But we need to make them accessible to people, financially accessible as well to people otherwise wouldn't have access, and put them in their communities. We need to create them so it's close to where they live and work and offer those opportunities. And that's what we're trying to do for the philanthropy. Penny calls this the passing gear of society. But I think this is the way to get started, and we hope others will come in and pick this up as well. So I I mentioned uh, in the introduction that um, when you started your family foundation in 1994, I mean, since that time, you've given away millions of dollars. Um, 
What are your priorities? I mean, obviously, healthcare is is a priority, but what are some other priorities? What are you looking at? Like, what could be next? What do you see where you could really have an impact? Well, beyond healthcare and leadership, uh, really, it's building communities, uh, particularly communities where we live and work. And I think communities have lost a lot, particularly during this pandemic. And we need to help build our communities as healthy places for everyone. And that is very critical to us. And I think youth development is something we're working very carefully on because that's the future and helping people get the opportunities they might otherwise not have. What do you mean by youth development? Um, well, I mentioned earlier giving or? scholarships to people that couldn't go to college, yes. working with a lot of youth development organizations in this community to help them get those opportunities. I mean, Y Camps are a good example, and they can teach mindfulness yeah. and uh, practices like this to help young people get started early. So, uh, mm-hmm. But I think giving youth uh, those opportunities, and out of that will come some really great things, I'm convinced. Mm-hmm. And Penny? I, do, I just wanted to say, because I'm aware the, of the hour, um, that we couldn't do any of this without our incredible staff. Sean Malone is president of the George Family Foundation, and he has a very small team, but they do mighty work. And I just wanted to, to give a shout out to them for making that possible. Well, I, I have enjoyed this hour uh, talking with the two of you. You've inspired me. You left me a nice leadership book. I'm going to read it, learn some things. Uh, and thank you to all of our callers who shared uh, their stories and great questions, as always. Uh, this conversation with Bill George and Penny George today on Give to the Max Day. Make your donation to NPR News by going to nprnews.org. Do what you can and let's keep spreading this generosity across Minnesota. Today's conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. We'll talk tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.